Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast, where we hear stories from everyday people who do extraordinary things. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. And we are live aboard here on Mighty Sparrow. I've got a very special guest that I've been able to spend the entire day with getting his uh, newly purchased, new-to-him boat ready. I've got Tom Lord. Tom, welcome to uh, the podcast. Welcome to Mighty Sparrow. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. We had a fantastic day today. One of the best days of my life, actually. <laughs> wow. Truly. All right. And I've had some exciting events in my life. So this was up there with uh, some of the most fun I've had. I've uh... Well, so yeah, today, just to, just to recap, we started, what, 7.30 in the morning. Yep. We're peeling through this new boat, which is, what, what type of boat is it? It's a uh, Allied Sea Breeze, 35 foot. Any idea what year? I think it's about a 67. Okay, okay. So she's an old girl, but she's yeah. she's definitely stout. And uh, so we started about 7.30. Beautiful day in Maine. And we Beautiful. just start peeling through. And it was just launched yesterday? I believe it was yesterday, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So she's just splashed, you know, and, and pretty much just going through all the stuff to do what I would technically call just a sea trial. Sure. Her. And... Uh, yeah, it was good. It was fun. It was successful. It was successful. For me, it was um, something I don't know what would have happened had I not met you. Because <laughs> my plan was to buy a boat and sail it. And I've sailed before, but not a boat of this size, not a boat with a motor, not a boat you know, with all of the different adjustments on it. I yeah, don't really yeah. know how it all works. I wasn't sure how to put it all together. And if I hadn't met you, I would have just done my best, and I don't know what would have happened. But, <laughs> but I can't tell you how happy I am to know that you, with all your experience, were there to help me with this, and it was just a joy. Well, the pleasure, like I said, yeah. was all on my end. That all was right. just, uh, besides being very enthusiastic, you're a yeah. heck of a guy. So right. that was that was definitely a lot right. of fun. But at, towards the end of the day, after we had sorted it out, put the sails on. Yeah. Gone and sailed it. Did it start to feel a little bit more like the Pearson Ensigns that you had sailed before? Uh, almost. You know, it's yeah. still just way heavier and kind of feels a, a, a much bigger boat, but the principles seem the same. Right, and right. And I felt way more comfortable with the way it it functioned mainly because of the instruction you gave me as we were putting everything together i got to see how it went and why it went that way and i really felt like you did a great job of teaching me like how this whole all these systems work so yeah, well, well yeah. I, was, I was delving back into my uh, former self as yeah. a sailing instructor right. and all that sort of it stuff was, so. it was fantastic it, and it was nice for me because i you know i gosh i can't even remember the last time i did any sort of sailing lesson uh -huh. sort of wow. stuff so right. and it wasn't so much sailing as more just practical boating right. sort of stuff. But, right. uh, you did very well. We, right. we didn't, we didn't crash into anything. Not too hard. Not too yeah, hard, at right. least. Uh, and and now, at least you're you're sort of feeling. I feel more like I confident. could I could do it on my own, and the consequences will be far less dire. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just get that insurance policy yeah, right. in there. What do you say? <laughs> well, can I ask you? So, so what? Sure. What sort of spawned uh, the purchase of the boat and everything? Well. 
probably 30 years ago, I saw an Allied Sea Breeze, and I instantly fell in love with it. And oh, wow. I just thought it was the prettiest boat I had ever seen. And then I started doing some research. I learned about how it was built and where it was built. And there were only 135 of them in the world. And yeah. so when one would come on the market, I would go look at it. But I wasn't in a position with the you know my life and things to really take that on. And, it's tough. Yeah. It's, it's almost like adopting a child, right? That just wants to break down all the time. Yeah, they need way more attention. Right. And my little Pearson, you know, ensign, yeah, doesn't have much that can go wrong with it. It doesn't require a lot of effort. Well, so. those are just so bulletproof. <clears throat> you know, our family had one. And, right. Yeah. I mean, twenty-two feet long and just. Yeah, you just put it in the water, you sail it for the summer, you pull it out of the water, rinse and repeat. Exactly. And that's pretty much all I did. And even the rigging, you know, tie the sail on, pull it up the mast, go for it. And yeah, not, yeah. not too much involved, you know, not too many components, not too many parts. The mast isn't going to fall down on you. Right. I mean, it really is a bulletproof boat. Yeah. So that was my prior sailing experience. But I always fantasized about a boat that I could sleep on, a boat that I could take somewhere, you know, somewhere far away, somewhere exotic, right, right. you know, anywhere in the world. Like the fact that you can get in this machine and the wind will blow you around the world as you have actually done That's true. Is, is just a f fascinating thing. And it captured my imagination. I, I love the idea of it. I like the experience of it, the way it feels to move through the water, the quietness of the whole process. It's just beautiful. Well, our sail today, I mean, obviously we're in this little bay in Rockland Harbor, but yeah, I mean, no waves, just just basically cutting through. And I, I was pretty surprised at how well that boat did just right. move. I mean... Like I said, it's much faster than this one. Uh -huh. So that was that was All definitely right. good. Not that any of our old boats go fast, but not compared to the rocket yeah. ships they build these right. days, that's for sure. But there's something to be said for the aesthetic too of yeah. the older boats. And I think a boat with character to me is meaningful. I, I like it. It's like art in a way. And 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 the lines of some of the more modern boats seem to me vacant of some kind of spirit that means something yeah, you know yeah. so um i i just get such pleasure when you walked up to me and said you have time to talk for a few minutes i was just sitting on the boat admiring yeah. the shape of it <laughs> you know just nice. looking at the the brass that they put you know on the lights and the and the hardware that's on the cabinet doors and it's just you can't get that today, and I, right, I just right. love it. I absolutely love it. Well, and these older boats, too, typically are built in a way like they're full fiberglass. Mm -hmm. They're they're built in a more seaworthy. You know, they, they used to build ships in degrees of, like, this one can handle a 10-year storm. This could handle a 50-year storm. Right. This could handle a 100-year storm sort of thing. And, you know, knowing that your boat can actually take on – a pretty nasty situation and mm -hmm. deal with it for, you know, a day or two in a row. Right. That will breed a, a bit of confidence in you as well. To, sure. Uh, not shy away from getting a little bit further away from the coast. So right. To, so to speak. Right. Right. I think one of the things I learned today from you is your attention to detail as far as, as, as safety goes. You know, and when I'm when I'm sailing, I'm never thinking it that this is dangerous. I'm not right, thinking right. that you know too much can go wrong. I'm used to being in this little ensign. If I come into the dock too fast, I jump off and stop the boat. But can't do that with this. No, one. these bigger boats. There's a lot more to think about, and I, I'm really grateful to have learned 
really what's involved in right, that. Right, right. You know, so. Well, and I, I, I have to say, I mean, I, I kind of emphasized a lot of that today just after after you'd mentioned that you had kids. Mm-hmm. Because that means, in my head, I'm like, okay, well, he's going to have passengers on here. I yeah. am. And that that did strike me as, you know, I mean, I, I love my kids. I, I want them to be safe. But we also live in a way where we're not going to hide in a box and make sure that nobody ever gets yeah. hurt you know you we wrap we, them in bubble wrap we go skiing you know we don't wear helmets we we you know we we go hiking you know we don't bring bear spray we just we trust that the world is not out to kill us it's and like growing up in the 80s yeah and we exactly it's kind of when i did grow up That's like, when I did. so uh <laughs> so it was uh it, it was for me an adventure this idea of buying this boat not knowing a heck of a lot about it but Knowing that if I got the right instructions and I took time a little bit to get familiar with things, that I yeah. could I could be reasonably safe, and I I feel like we're gonna be fine. I think so too. Yeah, yeah for sure. Well, and that yeah, I mean, because that's one of those things when you know that you're gonna have other people as the captain of a boat, you are responsible not only for the boat, but you're responsible for the livelihood of everybody who steps foot on there. So Which the, is, the buck stops with you. That's a big responsibility. It's a serious is. thing. Yeah. And that that's where a lot of, you know, the old timey sort of respect for the captain sort of thing because right. of the responsibility that that person bears. Right. And uh, so, you know, it's not something you have to sit there and freak out about, pull your all your hair out or anything, sure. but um, you know, it's definitely something you always have to consider. Right. So. And it, it, it's the truth. I mean, the kids don't know what's involved, so it's my responsibility to make sure that we're doing things properly. And I feel like uh, having spent the day with you, getting all of these details really is significant. Like I feel like I'm yeah. a much more aware sailor than I than I had been, and I've been on boats since I was eight years old i sailed sunfishes when i was a kid you know right, and then right. graduated to hobie cats and you know and then then i had the ensign and we've had that for 20 years so i've sailed a lot but i never had any like experienced person spend a lot of time never had an instructor never had an instructor all at all yeah just kind of trial by fire yeah that's and, how that's uh, how i learned so and and so here i am in this little marina in rockland maine and it turns out that a guy at this marina happens to have sailed around the world and <laughs> and he's available on a saturday morning to uh, spend the day with me and i've just been well just i represent really... knight's marine services here the yeah. biggest little boatyard in maine awesome boatyard we don't I build boats it. we build boats better that's what we say and, <laughs> and it's just a great crew of guys here and they they know what they're doing and it's just a pleasure to be here so we've i've had a great four or five days just well it's easy though boat. when when you're nice and relaxed and uh, yeah. you know you're not yelling at us or anything we're, right we're pretty happy to do whatever we can to yeah. make you stay yeah. it great. feels like that it does feel like that so. how, how much longer do we have with you uh my wife and kids are coming up on tuesday and oh okay. we're gonna set sail uh for probably head up toward Acadia okay, and uh, do a little bit of a voyage, come back to Rockland, and my family will drive back, and I'll sail the boat down to Newport. Okay, very nice. So nice. That's well, and I, you know, I do have a few of the chart books of, you know, coastal Maine and stuff, right, so cool. we could definitely take a look and do a little passage planning. Sounds good. Make sure you get down to your destination safe. Right. Perfect. Eventually, so so the game plan is to get the boat down to Newport. It is. And probably in the next, you know, two weeks. Two weeks. So maybe a week or so up here. Uh, 
exploring the amazing coast of Maine. Yeah. I mean, I bought this boat. It happens to be in Maine. And yeah, right. why would I want to vacate here without having without explored it? it out, you know, so I got I, all sorts of places. And that, you know, I the amount of, of coastal water that they have here is insane. I mean, yeah. all the inlets, everywhere you can find coves, all to yourself, just right around the corner. Mm-hmm. Say, like I said, I've never been able to explore it, but I've I've heard just yeah. nothing but amazing stuff. I mean, you do have to deal with things like the fog and lobster pots and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff, but you know the weather forecasting these days right it should be all right yeah 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 no i i've heard amazing things as well i've never really uh explored it by boat i've driven around to some of the different towns but to be on the water is a whole different world yeah, yeah. and it feels much more like a nautical place you know when you're driving around it feels like a little bit of a tourist trap but once you get on the water and you're you know just out there with the wind and the sun and the in the waves it's just it was it's so glorious remarkable. it was glorious it was like practically spiritual today for me i'm, <laughs> I'm walking around with this like internal smile and glow i can tell it's, yeah. it's beaming right out yeah, of you it feels that way i'm glad you can see it well i, I i'll tell you i've i've always loved maine the the first time i was here was uh finishing up the appalachian trail mm-hmm. Did a through hike in 2012 right. and i think you know you're hitting on a point where you know maine has this this insane coast all these communities and it's got the water and all that but it's also got this crazy forested mountainous region that you wouldn't even know the oceans anywhere nearby right out there and i you know that being the first time i was in maine i i never once thought you know obviously you always think of lobsters right but i never thought about coastal towns and all that sort of stuff right and i first came up here like four years ago to uh-huh. get the boat ready for the trip right and i've yeah i've always just been blown away yeah people are great yeah I don't know. It's just, uh, it's an awesome place. It's so lucky. It's so funny how you find these little gem areas every once right. in a while in your life. Yeah. And, you know, you think it's just going to be once you'll be there. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's part of your future. Yeah, it's and, part of the thing. Yeah. You know? yeah. My, my wife was a little like that. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I didn't really think she was going to be a part of my future. Oh, but then, right, then, right. You right. know, things rolled a certain way. And then there she is. How and long I, you guys been married? We've been married about uh, 18 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. That's Thank well you. above the curve. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Yeah, she, uh, you know, when I was younger, I hitchhiked. I, I hitchhiked uh, maybe 40,000 miles. Uh, oh, no way. All around America. On, I picked the right guy to have on this podcast. I yes. went up and down every interstate in America, north and south, east and west. When and, was this? Uh, from the time I was about 17 or 16 until I was about 28. Holy cow. And I just lived exploring the world, but yeah. I didn't have a boat and right. I didn't have much money. So at that time, you could get away with hitchhiking. And, yeah. Uh, and I, I, I used that as a as a way to explore the world, you know, and and I made a commitment to myself. I thought, no matter where I am in life, I'm going to continue to hitchhike when I get older. I'm yeah. never going to get like to the point where I, oh, I would never do that. So uh, it had been about maybe thirty five. That was 35 years old, and uh, I hadn't hitchhiked in a while. I was living in Newport, Rhode Island. Yeah. So I thought, all right, I'm gonna head down to New York City. I'm hitchhiking. I see this car come up over the hill, and in all the years that I had hitchhiked, 
I didn't care if a car passed me or not. Right. But this car, for some reason, I was like, I want this car to stop. And you know how when you think you can concentrate on yeah. something and send some send like, energy, energy to, yeah. I was like, come on, stop, stop, stop. And it moved over into the fast lane, which is usually the kiss of death. You know, yeah, it's, it's going to, they're, they're, they don't want anything to do with you. But uh, they, they passed me and I turned and continued. I like doubled the power to try to stop. <laughs> and all of a sudden the brake lights came on. I ran down there. And it was a woman, and I was like, "Wow, that doesn't happen too often." And yeah, uh, right. I wound up uh, marrying her a few no years later. No way! Yeah, your wife picked you up as a hitchhiker. She did. Her father was furious that she had done that. Oh, I'm sure. She told me, which I thought was weird, and I still think is kind of strange, that she had no intention of picking me up. That after she pulled over into the fast lane, it was like hitchhiker. Yeah, Don't yeah. pick up hitchhikers. I'm yeah, keep you know, go go away. But she felt this force on her leg. No way. That's what she said, and she stopped without wanting to, and uh, and then we we uh, we married. And I, I think it's an awesome, you know, awesome uh, relationship. So that is incredible. Yeah. I, I I am a firm believer in all that. Yeah, as far as you know. Right. People being able to, the amount of times where I'm sort of sitting and I'm thinking, oh, you know, I haven't talked to so and so in so long. Right. And then all of a sudden the phone starts ringing yep. and it's that person. Exactly. Like, oh, I was just thinking and your, your name sort of popped in my head. Right. So I think, I, you know, there is, I truly believe there is this untapped connection that people have. Yeah. That, uh, I don't know. I it's... don't know if it's just something that we've lost or right. if it's something yet to be discovered. Yeah. But there, I, there's definitely times. And I was very skeptical, you know, as a younger person. So I didn't believe in any of that stuff. Right, And right. it's just now I know my wife and I know that she wouldn't have made something like that up. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I know how I was feeling and I know that in the 40,000 miles that I hitchhiked, I never cared whether a car stopped or not. And so... This was after all those years. That is incredible. Yeah, so it's kind of cool. Holy smokes. That might be one of the most unique uh, how you met your wife stories I've ever heard. Right, so it's part of that whole feeling of adventure, you know, wanting to, like, explore the world and and see things and and know what's around you. And I just think it's it's an important thing for people to do. It seems like too many people lock into one way of being you know they go to school they get good grades they go to college they get a job and they're miserable yeah and they don't really know what else is out there in the world and i think that there's a lot out there and it's way better than people realize you know it's not it's not unsafe it's not dangerous you know there's 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 adventure and excitement and new things to learn about others and about yourself and and i I just think that adventurous spirit is something that should be encouraged and i think too oftentimes it's discouraged Um, well i i think i think one of the things that's changed probably over the last i don't know 50 years or whatever is just the there is this this kind of push for things are scary out there we need to let people know how scary this is and how this is dangerous and that right and i don't know it seems like people are inundated with this sure fear and they don't want to go out of their comfort zone. Exactly. But when you go out of your comfort zone, that's where all of a sudden you get to experience new things. Right. You get to grow as a person. Absolutely. And, you know, it's it's just this 
it's it's real living. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and I think everybody's different, and not everybody, you know, oh, can, can yeah. kind of handle that. But I think there are a lot more people that can that don't because the world tries to discourage it. And yeah, I, yeah, I can't imagine the kind of discouragement you had when you announced, "I'm going to take this little boat." Oh, you talked gonna... to my mother. And yeah, holy cow. Right. <laughs> I don't blame her though. Yeah, you know? sure. She, we were actually were banned, forbidden to talk about it because everybody for for like three years, everybody knew I was doing this. Right. And you know, family dinners, stuff right. like that. Everybody wanted to bring it up. But sure. No, we had to have. My father and I had secret meetings in the basement wow. to go over the charts and the passage planning and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think she was just hoping it was one of those sort of pipe dreams, like, oh yeah, you know, right. he, he'll talk about it, but he won't do it. But the problem right. is, I think pretty much all my life I've been one of those people where I get something in my head and, and it's and happening, hell or high water, I'm going to do it. <laughs> right. Well, it's an amazing story. I, 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 you know, before we started here, you handed me a copy of your book, Sailing into Bolivia. And I'm definitely going to read it. All right. And it's going to be nice to know that I know the guy who wrote the book. So yeah, right. That, that'll be fun. Well, I hope you enjoy it. It's, yeah. it's, it's it, That has been, you know, talk about getting out of your comfort zone. I mean, I I didn't really plan on writing a book afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm Obviously, I was never a great student. Right. Um, and I never even would have thought I'd be capable of doing something like really? that. Really? But there were enough people that, that sort of requested it that I figured I'd give it a shot. Huh. And... It gave me a chance to, or an excuse, to go down and spend the winter in the Caribbean. Because nice. I said, well, you know, if I'm going to write a book about it, I guess i got to go and be on the boat and sort of might as well be in the Caribbean. You're right. Good and, plan. Um, yeah, you know, and, and it it was tough. And there were definitely a lot of days where I'm sitting there writing, just thinking to myself, this is just going to turn out to be nothing. Right. But for whatever reason, I mean, it doesn't sell, obviously, a million copies sure. or anything. But it continues to sell enough where right. I, I mean it pays for you know doc slip all winter and all, all right that, and it's awesome. like holy cow and the best compliment i get about it is just people that that say they they couldn't put it down uh-huh and they typically read it in one or two sittings awesome. and i i wrote it intentionally to to be a fast read right because a lot of the old sailing books um about single handing around the world they're great if right. you're interested in the subject uh-huh. some of them are a little tougher to get through and i wanted it to be more of sort of a faster pace and um and all that but i you know like i said i'm i'm not a, uh, an author by any means sure but, uh, i was lucky enough to do something that you could write a story about yeah it's pretty hard to tell that story unless you're the person who actually absolutely did it first well, person. Now I'm even more eager to read it. So right, it sounds great. Yes, there we go, <laughs> pitching it, pitching it. So uh, during that, the the hitchhiking years. Yeah. Any any big highlights from that besides obviously meeting your future wife? Uh, well, I mean, for me, the goal was I didn't know what the world was like. You know, I grew up in New Jersey, just outside of New York City. Yeah. And it's a very urban area. And I would see pictures of like mountains and snow and, you know, all these cool, natural. And this know, was what, early 80s, 90s? This was like early 80s. Early yeah. 80s. Yeah. Wow. Uh, maybe like late 70s, early 80s. Okay. And, uh, and hitchhiking wasn't popular then, but it wasn't unheard of yeah there were enough people that had done it in the 60s yeah that it was uh kind of not 
so strange that people wouldn't stop. And there weren't cell phones, so they couldn't call the cops like they do now yeah, and say, yeah. oh, there's a hitchhiker at mile marker 22, oh. <laughs> you know? So so before yeah, cell phones... Yeah, it's illegal. Yeah. places it's not. Yeah. And, and cops definitely, you know frowned upon it and uh, yeah. would give you a little bit of a hassle until you had to leave, but they would drive away and then they knew you were going to go right back and do it and right, they didn't right. come back. So it was pretty cool. And uh, yeah, so, so you know, the adventures were uh, just getting a really good handle on what America is like, like all the different states, all the different types of people, you know, all the different topography and the, yeah. the different... Uh, uh, like cultures that exist within this country, and it was it was it was fascinating to me. You know, I would go down south, and I would I would meet people that were still living as if uh, slavery was real, and it was eye opening to hear right. them talk in ways that. If they talked like that where I grew up, they would have been beaten to a pulp. Really, you know? but they were. Everybody seemed comfortable with with you know types of language and attitudes that were just uh, reprehensible to me. Was so that it, like down Mississippi, yeah, Alabama, Alabama you know, a couple of places stuff. where uh, you know slavery had 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 been you know something that was was almost uh, uh, con- it was it was considered an attribute, like something that was good for society. They didn't right, want to right. change it, and didn't they were still angry about it. So, you know, at that time, I might have gotten picked up by, you know, I got picked up by this one guy who was like 80-something years old, and his father had slaves, and he talked Jeez. to me about how life should be. And right. it was just mind-boggling to me, you know? So there were a lot of things like that where the cultures were just so foreign to me. And uh, it made the kind of issues that America is just starting to confront now much yeah. more real to me. You know, like you hear about, uh, you hear about prejudice, you hear about, you know, attitudes. Um, and I don't think this is true of, you know, everybody in the South by any means. But there right. were, I never heard people talk like I did in some of these little towns, you know, and... Uh, it was shocking to me. So, so there was things like that. And then there were also just like, you know, things where you had to be resourceful. You know, it would be 10 oh. o'clock at night and you're in some city and you can't just like set up a tent. So what do you do? Well, grocery stores have huge roofs. And if you can climb up on the roof, you can set up a tent. <laughs> and nobody even knows you're there for like three or four days. So oh, wow. I would like climb up onto the a gutter, you know, and set up my tent on the roof. And if I needed something, I'd slide down the gutter and go in the store and get what I needed and then climb back up onto the roof. And Oh my and, gosh, that's so crazy. Yeah, so... Uh, well, and I would think, you know, when you're out doing like the desert stretches and stuff out west... There yeah. must have been times where you might have gotten a little lean on the food and the water, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, 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 we had talked today about how uh, fasting is something that I'm fascinated by. And, oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so I kind of had gotten into that when I was younger a little bit and thought I like to push myself. And, uh, and so I would go days without eating and be perfectly fine. Um, yeah. Water was a different issue. You know, there were a couple of times where that became dire. But it always somehow worked out, and I wait I, till you read the book. Yeah, I uh, can only imagine what you needed. I'm sure yeah. some of my listeners uh, that have read it are probably thinking, "Oh, geez, yeah, like, just you wait. He knows right. about water shortage." Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> I won't spoil it. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, 
Oh man, well that that is absolutely fascinating. Did you ever uh, do any train hopping? Uh, I did. Really? I, I, yeah, I did two different trains. I did one in the south. Uh, I don't really remember where I got on, but I I went for like about twenty hours in the train. And okay. It, it was like d- disappointingly slow. You know, I felt oh. like I could go way faster hitchhiking. So you know, the thing would stop and. It would sit there for four hours, and then it would start going again, and it would only go like twenty miles an hour. And oh, geez, you, know, you yeah. walk faster, I, exactly. So it, <laughs> it, it wasn't the best way to travel. But was it, it was still was an option? It, um, terribly uncomfortable as far as like jarring motion. Uh, no, actually, it wasn't very yeah, smooth. No, it was pretty smooth. Yeah, I'd it was always good. I don't know where I got that from. I got the, the notion that if you were in some of these fat, maybe it's the faster ones, but oh, like yeah. the freight cars. Where if you were trying to like sit up, you'd just destroy your back. You'd oh, have to yeah. like lay down flat. I don't know. Yeah. I must have gotten lucky because I mean I think we were only going twenty miles an hour, so you can't right, really right. bounce around that much. But and then I did it up in uh, I was going to school in Michigan, and it was a train that came through Kalamazoo. Yeah, and I jumped on that once just to see where it would go, and I wound up in somewhere in like uh, Indiana, and oh. uh, and I just got off and hitchhiked, hitchhiked back to, to hitchhiked yeah. back to school. Oh my so, gosh! Yeah, what an experience. I mean, I, you know, obviously not not recommending anybody go out there and and do some hitchhiking. Uh, I think the point is being uh, get out of your comfort zone yeah. and go out there and explore this sure. beautiful country we have. Because yeah. I, you know, you're right on the money. I mean, if you if you just look at a map of the United States, you've got like where we are now, this beautiful coastal region. Then you've got all the beaches all the way down to Florida. You've got the Appalachian Mountains, which are unbelievably beautiful, right. going into these huge, crazy plains. And then you get the Rockies, and then you get the West Coast, but you've got the heat in the South and the, the cold winters in the North. I mean, exactly. You know, I you, you hear a lot about people saying, oh, well, you know, 90% of Americans don't even have a passport. Right. And yeah, I don't think that's the greatest thing. But at the same time, we don't need one. Right. We got a lot of land to yeah. look at and a lot of cool stuff to see. So. Right. Yeah. One time, uh, speaking of the north, I was in uh, Bismarck, North Dakota, and I, I wanted to go skiing. So I had my skis with me as I was hitchhiking. I left from Michigan. Yeah. And there was, the I didn't check the weather. Bomb. I didn't check the weather. It was apparently the record breaking coldest front that had ever come down through can from Canada. And it was minus 48 degrees. Oh, that was holy the absolute, that was the, not the windshield. That was the actual temperature. And That's I think it's, to build a fire cold. It, it was you know? unbelievable. I did not know what the definition of biting cold was until yeah. I was in that cold. And my nerves actually felt like something was biting me. It was so cold. And I was standing there thinking there's like hardly anybody on the road because they don't want to drive because it's the cars won't start and yeah, it's so oh. freezing cold out and there and Bismarck diesel. is like a tiny little town but I saw this like refrigerator box on the side of the road and I was like I'm gonna die if I don't get some kind of protection from the wind so I took the refrigerator box climbed inside of it, cut a little hole so I could see when cars would come and stuck my arm out <laughs> another hole <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, I was standing there, and this guy in a Cadillac pulls over. I shed the box. I grab my skis. I jump in the car, and uh, and he took me all the way to Montana. So oh, was, really? Yeah, it was. Where'd it was, you go in Montana? You I went to, to uh, 
the University of Montana, they in had Bozeman. yeah, yeah. They, they had a, a deal where like if you were a college student, you could you could come to their campus and see what it was like. Uh-huh. So I told them I was interested in their school and Sly if they could devil. Yeah, if they could set me up with a little room there for a few days and I could explore, you know, the campus and Bridger Bowl. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so so yeah, is it uh there's, there's Big Sky. Big Sky is where yeah. I went. Yeah, so I spent Holy like four or five cow. days at Big Sky, and the, the ride back was a lot easier. It was much warmer. It was like 30 degrees instead of minus yeah, 40. Right? So. Oh, my gosh. Minus, that's insane. Growing up in Michigan, our the coldest winter I ever experienced, I want to say it was in the mid-90s where we had about a week mm-hmm. where it was in the negative 20s to the negative 30s. Yeah. And all I remember was that if you went outside and you had any skin exposed, it started to sting really fast yeah. and then it went numb. Right. And so it was literally, if you were walking to your car and you knew you had to clean the windshield, yeah. you had to have goggles on. Right. And I had a neck warmer and all that. Yeah. And we tried to go skiing, but the ski just stuck to the wax on the wow. board. Wow. Right. So it wasn't, and I, I'll never forget, I mean, pure bluebird day, not a cloud in the sky, sun's just beaming down, it's negative mm-hmm. 26 mm-hmm. degrees, and we're out there trying to ski, and we're not moving anywhere. Yeah, right. Wow. And we're just thinking to ourselves, this is just insane. Yeah, yeah. And I just remember, you could never roll down any windows on the car, they they weren't iced over, they were just absolutely just frozen in right. place. Yeah. When we were, when the guy picked me up in this Cadillac, he, uh... We, we drove past this other hitchhiker that was out in the middle of nowhere. Oh, wow. He was just like covered in ice. Like his, <laughs> his beard had been just like saturated with his, the condensation from his breath and it was just all white. I, 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 I wondered how this guy was going to survive because he wasn't near a town. He wasn't near anything. We just yeah. drove right past him, and I, I felt horrible. The guy still haunts me. You know, <laughs> well, it's still... not like you can just be yeah, like, Yeah, hey, you're right. Can you well, stop for him, him too? too? You're right, exactly. Pick him up. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Have you read uh, To Build a Fire, that short story by I, Jack London? I have not, no. So this guy's up in... in way way north alaska above the arctic circle or um canada mm-hmm. and he's with his dog they he's walking down some trail and and he realizes that it's it's 50 degrees below zero right but it's still in the winter so there's no sun at all and uh he ends up breaking through and getting his feet a little bit wet initially mm. and he builds a fire yeah. but he's starting to realize that it's actually way colder than that because when he spits the spit freezes in the air, oh, so he's man. like, "Well, it's a, and the you know Jack London's writing. He says it's it's basically negative seventy wow. below zero, or seventy below zero. And the guy then proceeds, spoiler alert, to get his feet wet again. And he goes to build a fire, but he builds it under a spruce tree. And as he's pulling, he gets the fire going. He's going to save himself. He's about ready to you know take his soaking wet moccasins off, and then." Uh, the boughs that have all the snow fall and oh, hit it. And man. he's already at a point where he can't feel his fingers and oh, all that. My he's got a whole book of like 70 matches, uh-huh. but he can't use his hands anymore. And oh, he's trying to like put them together and all this stuff. And then he literally just, you know, freezes right. to death. And the dog ends up, you know, sort of walking off. But oh, man. It's a short story. It's an amazing one. I listened to it a whole bunch uh, before I was going to do the Northwest Passage because I, I kind of wanted to know. 
worst case scenario right uh you know because i i had been warned you get stuck in the ice you have to winter over up there so i had on board uh an evacuation plan of you know tons and tons of cold weather you know i'm a i'm a layering guy it's not like i need a an 800 dollars jacket from north face what i need is six different thermals from haynes that uh, you know, I can just layer and layer and layer, and then a shell over the top. But I I brought my camping stuff so that I could at least if I I thought if worst case scenario I'd be able to grab the gun, grab the gear, walk off the boat and walk the ice to in the direction of the nearest town. Wow, that might have been a completely you know some expert out there might be listening and thinking, wow, that's yeah, really you dumb. wouldn't have lasted yeah, very long. Would have made the polar yeah. bears would have got him. But yeah, in my mind, I just wanted to have an escape strategy, kind of like when we were talking about you know pulling in and out on the dock today. Yeah, you, know, you always you take a look around, you see your environment, and you got to know like that that last time that. Uh, uh, I had you go out by yourself, and I think you were reversing, and then it started to turn the opposite yep. way. Yeah, And it's like, well, you can either fight it or you can just accept, okay, now the world's going to make me go that way. Right. And you did it. Yeah. You didn't panic. Right. I was so proud. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, man. Well, shoot. Holy cow. I can't. I. Oh, man. I got so many questions about just the hitchhiking portion of that, but. I don't want to just harp on yeah, that. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. All right. Um, I guess I guess I I always ask people this, but uh, any obviously you want to get the boat down to Newport and stuff. But yep. Any uh, any hidden agenda, grand plans in the sailing realm? I think I'm gonna see how it goes. You yeah. Know? Like I I I think this first trip for me is gonna be significant. You know, I've never been out to sea. I've yeah. never like sailed for you know far enough that I can't see the land. Right. And so I'm kind of interested to see what that will feel like. And my guess is I'm going to like it. Yeah. And if I like it as much as I think I do, um, I'm going to be interested in more of that kind of feeling. And I, I think like you, I am happy to be alone. I enjoy you know, the, the, the quiet and the opportunity for sort of introspection and to be connected to nature in a way that you can't be when you're kind of dialoguing with people or with technology or Constantly with whatever. being yeah. inundated by every screen that exactly. passes by. Yeah. So I've spent a fair amount of time, you know, in the wilderness uh, hiking and, you know, doing things that people say you shouldn't do. Um, oh, please and, give us an example. Well, just, you know, <laughs> you know, I went into, into the Smoky Mountains uh, with, like, maybe... 25 pounds of oatmeal and oh my god and i and i went for like 30 days in october you know when not too many people were around yeah and it was spectacular i i just enjoyed every last second of it in fact i have an experience from that trip the last week that i was there i ran into a guy who was riding a horse and he stopped to talk to me and as he stopped he was feeding his horse raisins and I had been eating oatmeal for like, boy, those 20. raisins sure would add to my meals. They they looked they looked <laughs> heavenly. Like I cannot describe how delicious. Even though they were like slathered in horse saliva and yeah, it was like right. kind of dribbling yeah, right. out of the horse. When you're mouth. hungry, you're hungry. Couldn't have cared less. As soon as that guy went away, I like gathered up the raisins and I I I just 
gorged on them. And they were, to this day, the best thing that I have ever eaten in my life. I lived in New York. I went to really nice restaurants. It does not compare to the raisins that fell out of that horse's yeah. mouth. You know, oh, it was yeah. just so, so good. I'll tell you what. I That's one of the things that I learned more than anything else on that voyage and on some of the other trips I've been on mm-hmm. is when you are deprived of things for instance, like food, mm-hmm. uh, when you do finally get to a point where you get that turkey sandwich, that's what it was for me, is I think a turkey sandwich, yeah. uh, after months of rationing and, and basically living off of rice and lentils, mm-hmm. um, it you could you could serve me a $10,000 world's best turkey sandwich, yep. and it's not going to taste anywhere near what that one did. And I don't know, I, I the, the lesson I learned is just that the ability to be able to, I don't know, it just seems like we're, we're geared towards wanting to always be able to have that turkey sandwich, the best one we can have all the time because that's the best thing. Mm-hmm. When in all reality, the way to make that the ultimate turkey sandwich is to not have it all the time. Absolutely. And make sure that it's absolutely special. I right. mean, I, I think I first ran into that whole notion when I was trying to quit smoking uh-huh. years ago when I, you know, I was up to smoking like two packs a day. Wow. And ba- essentially when you do that, each cigarette that you're having doesn't really taste all that good. You barely taste it. You barely even notice you're having it, but mm-hmm. you just keep, and it, it gets worse and worse. But all then, right. You know, if there was an odd day where I couldn't get to the store and I had to go even two, three hours without having one, when I finally got that one, it was like, all right, guys, hold on. This is going to be a nice little event for me. I go sit down. Right. And there were a few of the first sailing trips where I, you know, I would intentionally go, all right, I'm only going to bring a pack. It's a 12-day trip. Mm-hmm. This would be great. And I, you know, run out, go a little stir-crazy on the boat. But then I'd get to land, and I'd always go and buy a pack. to be the first thing I would do. Right. But that first one was absolutely insane. It was like yeah. the biggest event. And that's where I started realizing, I was like, gosh, you know, it seems like everybody's telling me that what I want is the security to be able to have all the stuff that I want all the time. Mm-hmm. But it, it just seems to dilute it and make it less, I don't know, make it not as special. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I I kind of, from my hitchhiking days, carried forward into my life this realization that that society's obsession with the material, with materialism, with houses, cars, the right clothes, you know, the right vacations, you know, all the, the, the right things. At the, Bigger, yeah, better. Yeah. It, it's a trap. And... I feel like when you settle for less, you actually get way more. You get a kind of appreciation and a gratitude for the things that you have that when you have too much, it's almost like you cannot uh, you cannot experience it fully and and it takes on this 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 low luster that isn't fulfilling. And you hear about people who have all the money in the world and they could have anything that they want and they're just not happy, you know, and they wind up just giving up on life because there's nothing left to really want. They have everything that they could possibly want. And I think you go to other places where people have almost nothing and they're some of the happiest people on earth. Yeah, oh yeah. I found that a lot in the the Caribbean Mm -hmm. where... 
you've got I, I was very lucky to be sort of invited into the local community there and in Dominica and then also in the British Virgin Islands. And, you know, there's this notion of of like, you know, uh, I don't I don't need a car. I don't need a big house. I already live in the most beautiful place in the world. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to try and work basically as little as I have to to afford the few things that I do need. And and I'm going to be all good. And these people, it's it's amazing because the the sense of community is crazy strong. Right. You know, even if if somebody's you know a grumpy guy all the time, he's still part of the community. He doesn't get sort of shunned and completely ostracized. Right. It's just like, oh, there's all grumpy. Here he comes. Let's yeah. listen to this. And right. but there's this. I, all the relationships are very, very tight. Right. And I've always felt, you know, it was interesting. You'd see that, and then you'd see these billionaires come in on their, you know, 300-foot mega yacht. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, helicopter, dinghies, all this sort of stuff. And you see it all the time. And they would come, and they would anchor, and they'd be in there, and they'd be sort of using some of their toys or whatever. Most of the time, they never would even venture into the resort that we were working at or definitely not into the little town, the little right. village and meeting the people. Right. And I always got the sense that in a way all those things that they had acquired were in a way just almost building a bigger bigger wall in between them and the rest of the world. Yeah, I think that's such a good point and I I, I agree with you 100%. And it's a sneaky thing because you feel like when you get well, more and better, yeah. you know that you're on the right track and that this is going to lead to some sort of joy. But I think I think that um it it has a way of impeding um that sense of community that you talked about the the connections between people and i think yeah. when it comes down to it that's what we all really want most and it's, uh, yeah good friends yeah. relationships exactly to be a, you know when when you're in a community where you know everybody i i guess maybe not totally dependent on each other but in some ways you know cuz down there we would if if one of the fishermen got really lucky there was one year where these little fish called jacks are about I don't know, 12 inches or whatever. Mm -hmm. So one year, this huge school, millions of them, flooded into this one harbor, and these guys were able to go out and get a net around them. And it stayed. The net, they rocked it in and all that sort of stuff. And for months, these jacks were just being shared around the entire community. And to see how... You know, it it was all shared, and all of a sudden, it was just this exciting moment. You know, every single little bar had jacks that were all fried up, and the price of them were really cheap. Everybody could get them. People were, you know, sharing them and stuff. And to see a community interact like that compared to just somebody being able to purchase all the things that they need for themselves. Right. uh, I don't know. It's just the relationship part is just absolutely missing. Yeah, yeah absolutely missing and uh and it's a it's such a an unfortunate thing because i think a lot of people look at success as it's you know conventionally defined and they feel that they're missing something they wish they could have those things yeah and and that that's really the goal is to like get to this place that porsche yeah and but then you get the porsche and you drive it for a little while and it's just your car yeah and you're used to it and then you see somebody in a in a you know a ferrari or something and you're like oh if i get one of those ferrari that's when i will really that'll be it like i'll be good yeah but for me hitchhiking 
kind of really highlighted the deception associated with materialism because it was one of the most enjoyable parts of my life. But I had everything I owned in a backpack. Yeah, I right slept under back. bridges and on, you know, on, on grocery stores and, and <laughs> you know, wherever in the woods, <laughs> you know, on the side of the highway. And it was a, a very fulfilling life. I got to meet hundreds of different kinds of people. They were, they were all good. I never, you know, never had any trouble with anybody. I met very unique people, you know, yeah. people that were, that were, you know, maybe you would think of as, you know, dangerous. I had people pick me up and they had, you know, guns on the front seat or whatever. And bottle of whiskey. Yeah. But, hand. but they, they didn't, they didn't, you know, want to hurt anybody. That's right. just their life. And, uh, and so for me, I have an attitude and I don't recommend it for everybody, but I just have a kind of faith that this world is good and that it's here to to provide like as much joy as you're willing to count on it to give you. Yeah. And if you don't do that, you're going to be living a life that I think is a lot less uh, enriching and, yeah. and, and a little less exciting. And I think that's why there's so much sort of depression and, and sadness in the world because life has gotten shrunken to this little safe little cubicle and people are afraid to go out of that little safety zone. And, and I don't know why it is that way, but it seems like it's getting worse. You know, it seems like everybody's so afraid of so many different things. And I just refuse to live a life kind of defined by fear yeah and i'd rather be dead you know if i go home to newport and my boat sinks and i drown in the ocean i would much rather have lived my life the way i have uh than to have lived it some other way that that had much less uh where i could be who i want to be you know yeah, and do yeah. the things that i want to do well and have those experiences sure you know, i i think in some ways people uh these days try to or feel feel like it's almost fulfilling to be able to experience things through videos on a screen right where they're like oh you know uh i the caribbean i watched all these these documentaries about right. it i watch all these videos and man yeah i know all about it and yeah it's like, not until you actually go down there absolutely that's when you get to really truly experience right. it right uh, wow gosh it's just making me think so much oh good yeah so you said something earlier that I want to follow up on. Sure, sure. You said earlier that obviously you weren't good in school. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think there's anything obvious about that. I think that that oh, I was that, terrible. I know. But <laughs> may, maybe you were, but but it's it's certainly not obvious. I've um you know almost sixty. I spent a lot of time with a lot of different people, and I spent the whole day with you. And you're a bright guy. You know, you're oh, somebody right. that's like you know very capable. Obviously, you managed yeah. to handle all the challenges that are in, involved in sailing a boat around the world by yourself. And, and so this idea that school is somehow a measure of your ability or your intelligence or your capability, I, I think is another one of those really damaging notions, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. where I, I think that, that, that there's a lot more to a human being than how well they perform in some, you know, curriculum that is designed by people who have uh, 
a specific idea of how you're supposed to be. Well, and and I know when I did finally get that and started getting some decent reviews and stuff, mm-hmm. I remember my mom saying, you know, boy, if your high school English teachers could see that sure. now, I'll bet you they'd turn over. <laughs> right, 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 right. But there's so many people out there that you know, society judges in these standardized ways. Oh, and yeah. I, and just, I find it to be terrible. really damaging. So Yeah, yeah. And it, 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 it is. The, you have people, you will always, whenever you're receiving any sort of criticisms or constructive critiquing any of that, mm-hmm. you always take those way harder sure. than you do compliments. Compliments, it seems like people just brush right off. Right. But, boy, you, you do something where you say, you know, hey, well, you know, you probably could do this a little bit better. Right. That person's going to go steam about it for the next two weeks. Mm-hmm. You never know. Lose sleep over yeah, it. Yeah, sure. And if we could match those up where, you know, you can you can sort of even that playing field, really mm-hmm. appreciate it when somebody says, hey, you know, right. thank you so much. Sure. That was really good. Yeah. And then also not let, you know, the construct the the criticisms you know you, you definitely want to learn from those but mm-hmm. you can't let it just hold you back right and i think particularly for children you know kids that yeah. are in school who are you know failing out or whatever it's it's sort of made to to be this this uh you know sort of horrible uh, thing and that, that 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 means that they're they're not smart or they're not this some of the smartest people i've ever met are people who did poorly in school you know yeah, they, yeah. they 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 had other interests you know they 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 didn't feel like they wanted to just conform to whatever it is that the school was you know trying to ram down their throat not that i have anything against education i think education is great but i don't think education that is really just designed to create people who are going to you know be satisfied sitting in a cubicle for 8 hours a day yeah, is yeah. really what we should be striving for well you know? what kind of life is that I exactly mean, really and and you get that i've heard it a million times where where people are like well you know our game plan really is you know when we're we're going to try to get early retirement you know sometime early 50s and then we're going to go right and it's that, and then we're gonna, and all I can think to myself is, well, what if something else happens? Right. And then you can't. I, I think I think this whole you know pandemic thing was a huge wake up for a lot of people mm-hmm. who all of a sudden you know had plans they were gonna go do this thing, and then now they can't actually do it. And I right. my my hope is that sort of the silver lining from this whole thing would be that it wakes a lot of people up and, and in the next year or so, people are like, you know what? I'm actually just going to get out there and do it because who knows? Yeah. My, my ability to do it might get taken away. Right. Absolutely. And there's something, too, to be said about exploring the world when you're younger, you know, when you have the oh, energy. Yeah. You get yeah, older, yeah. you know. Oh, you get tired. Yeah. You get stuff hurts. You know, it's you hard to sleep under a bridge yeah, or on a grocery exactly. store roof. You know, so so I think I think the right set of priorities is you know have your adventure when you're you know younger and don't don't feel like you don't have time to to straighten your life out later if you if that's what you think you need to do you know if you if you have this idea of what success is and it, it involves you know the right car and the right clothes and the right house and the right neighborhood I think it's a big lie. And I think yeah. you're going to be disappointed. And I think there are a lot of people who, if they could go back in time, they would realize that um, 
there's 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 a really nice opportunity when you're in your you know late teens to early twenties. You can you can you can go back to school when you're a little older, when oh, you yeah. know what you want to do, when you have had some experiences, experiences that yeah. that motivate you to actually now be interested in you know some particular Finding field. Passion, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I I I think that this race to you know get ahead as quickly as possible. You know, you hear about these kids that are like four and five years old that are struggling to get into, you know, these oh, the, the right fancy, elementary schools, yeah, yeah. you know, and it's, not. it's just never ending. And uh, I just feel like that's much more damaging than people realize. So, Well, and I, I think a lot of times people forget that the, the one true thing that we all own and the most valuable thing that we all own is our time. Mm-hmm. And we've only got a small amount of it. Right. And... More often than I like to ever think, we trade it for things like money, which mm-hmm. is for to buy, you know, purchases Stuff. and things like that. And in the end, you're going to get to a point where you're going to look back and be like, did I trade that well? Right. And if it ends up being for something that didn't make you happy in the end, you're going to look back and just think, holy cow, I traded my life. Right. For what? For real. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, we're already at an hour. Really? Yeah, wow. Okay. Believe it or not. <laughs> well, that was quick. Tom, that was yeah. that was fantastic. I uh sorry we didn't get into the fasting, but who knows? You're here for a couple of days. Maybe we'll do a part two. All right. That we'll was see. pretty enjoyable. Yeah. Well, um, I'd be happy to spend time. I, I really have felt like uh fortunate to have met you. You know, I was calling I was telling my wife it's like one in 250 million people, like one out of 250 million people that have done what you've done. And when you do something like that, it impacts who you are. And, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's yeah, a yeah. rare thing, you know. It's a it's a really rare thing. And I, I feel really fortunate to have gotten to know you and, uh, you know, right talking to you tonight. You, you know, Seriously. Is, is, well, is, I, I, is, I feel is like. even more you know that i that i can know about who you are yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. so i appreciate that hey well and like i said it's the same exact thing feeling for me i mean uh, this is just great i i i'm sure we're probably gonna stay in touch yeah because you know, i'm gonna want to know how your adventures are going sure and we'll and see how mine end up playing out absolutely uh, but man fantastic well well thank you for coming on and uh yeah who knows maybe i'll snag you in for one more of these all right my pleasure all thank right. you thanks yep Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoy the podcast and want to support it, just go to podbean.com and you can become a patron and keep the show on the air. Also, if you like the music at the beginning, the album is called Deep Teal and the artist is Adrian Edson. It's available on Amazon Music. And if you want the full story of the trip around the world, the book, the Kindle book, and the audiobook can all be found on amazon.com, Sailing into Oblivion, the solo nonstop voyage of the mighty sparrow. Fair winds and following seas.